Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. Welcome to Channel 127. Thank you, as always, to the great Dino Badala and his brilliant, attractive team for being an excellent lead-in. We are coming to you live and interactive across the country, all the way to the great state of Canada. And for the next three hours, we'll be coming at you with music and comedy and facts and politics and bring you to the brink of feeling somewhat entertained. Uh, Chris Hauselt's our executive producer. Running this thing out of the South Carolina Bureau, Thea Harper produces our show out of Brooklyn. We have a lot to get to on tonight's show, and we have some very smart people to do it with. We're going to talk with Bob Henley, both about uh, the climate change and all the pollution we're seeing from our Canadian friends with the horrible wildfires raging, and how, once again, uh, officials on both sides of the border are often caught flat-footed on it. Also, uh, Scott Emilianic is going to join us. He is the editor of Inc. magazine, and he wrote a really interesting piece about psilocybin, microdosing, and hallucinogenic therapy. It's becoming a very trendy thing to talk about. Chris and I were just talking about that during our ayahuasca keg session last week, and uh, he's kind of an expert on it. He speaks uh, publicly both about being in the business field and being an entrepreneur and uh, about these trends and what kind of psychological damage that traditional talk therapy might not be able to help with. He grew up in a very abusive alcoholic home where psilocybin can come in and actually help people have some real healing. It's a great, great debate and discussion about PTSD and how the frontiers of treatment are changing. God has given us lots of things organically on Earth that can help us heal. It's nice when we don't make them illegal. So we'll be talking with him later on in the show. And of course, my God, there's so much going on. There's so much to talk about. This heat dome is covering the Southwest, pushing high temperatures into the triple digits. It's breaking all-time records. We now see that two months' worth of rain has fallen on Vermont in just two days. Over 100 people rescued from floodwaters. Um, And a new study shows that COVID-19 has been dominant in deer populations in the U.S., Documents multiple instances of animal-to-human transmission, uh, raising concerns that there's all kinds of variants we don't know about that are incubating right now as we speak with our critter friends. Good times. So we have lots of laughs, too. So here's a story we didn't get to, and I want to begin with this one because I I, kind of need your thoughts on this. I, I want to know how people feel about Leslie Van Houten. Leslie Van Houten walked out of a California prison. Yesterday, Uh, she has served more than 50 years of a life sentence for her participation in two very well-known murders. 
Now, we were going to talk about this last night, but then Tommy Tuberville had to go and be so racist, uh, it kind of ate up all the oxygen in the room. You might have heard of Ms. Van Houten. She was a high school cheerleader. She was a homecoming princess. And at age 14, her parents split up and her life kind of went out of control. She turned to drugs. She got pregnant. She said her mother forced her to abort the fetus and bury it in the family's backyard. She was a teenager in a lot of turmoil. And one day at an old movie ranch on the outskirts of Los Angeles, she met Charles Manson. That's where he had established his uh, family of followers. If you saw a recent Quentin Tarantino movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. And Manson met her, and Manson eventually got her to murder, help murder, uh, Lino LaBianca, who was a, a grocer in L.A., and his wife, Rosemary. There is no doubt that she killed him. There are some folks out there on the internet saying, oh, no, she didn't even do any killing. No, she, she, she really did. Uh, the LaBiancas were murdered in their home. Their blood was smeared all over the walls. She held Rosemary LaBianca down with a pillowcase while the other ones stabbed her. And then Tex Watson, the guy who was there, ordered her to do something. She picked up a knife and stabbed this poor woman over a dozen times. The murderers mutilated the bodies. They, they carved the word war into Lino LaBianca's stomach. They wrote death to pigs and helter skelter on the walls in blood. They misspelled Helter. And these murders happened the day after other Manson followers killed Sharon Tate and four other people. Leslie Van Houten was 19 years old at the time when she did this. She did not participate in the Sharon Tate murders. And she got convicted on two counts of murder and one count of conspiracy to commit murder. And she was sentenced to death in 1971. Then... Her sentence was reduced a year later to life in prison when California outlawed capital punishment, as well they should in 1972. Now it's been 52 years. She's in her 70s. She was released to parole supervision, and she left the California Institution for Women in Corona, that's east of L.A., early yesterday morning. She's now staying in transitional housing. They think she's going to spend about a year at a halfway house, learning how to do basic things in life, how to go shop for groceries, how to get a debit card. She hasn't lived like a normal person in 50 years. She doesn't have any experience with the internet. She doesn't buy things without cash. It's a very different world. She's going to have to learn how to drive a car. She'll probably be on parole for about three years. And um, she's trying to get a job, apparently. She did get a bachelor's degree in prison. She got a master's degree in prison. She counseled women. And she worked as a tutor for other incarcerated people behind bars. And now she's out. So how does everyone feel? I mean, what's the progressive take on this one? We all know the conservative take. What, what is the progressive point of view on this? You know, it's kind of like the cluster bomb debate. Is it progressive to have cluster bombs if they drive the Russians out sooner? Or is it the opposite because these cluster bombs will be setting off bomblets for years to come? Long after Russia has left, there will still be live bombs in the ground. So how do you feel about this? I mean, clearly the woman's not a danger to society. She's in her 70s, in jail for her whole life. What's she going to do? She was a model citizen while she was incarcerated. She's expressed remorse for her crimes in 1969. She's no threat to society. But her victims remain dead. What's the take? What do you think? Now, she was recommended for parole five times 
since 2016. And all of those recommendations were denied by Democratic governors, Gary Brown and then Gavin Newsom. And she was found suitable for parole after a July 2020 hearing. But Gavin Newsom blocked her release. He said, I don't care how old she is. She's still a threat to society. You're not going to see a Democratic governor wanting to let a Manson family murderer out of prison, especially a Democratic governor who's thinking about running for president someday. Right. If they won't talk about Leonard Peltier or, you know, anyone else in jail, they're not going to talk about her. So she filed an appeal with the trial court. They rejected it. And then she turned to the appellate courts and the second district court of appeal in May reversed Gavin Newsom's denial of her parole request. Newsom is very upset about it. Uh, His office put out a statement saying more than 50 years after the Manson cult committed these brutal killings, the victims' families still feel the impact. And and, and Newsom said yesterday he's not going to fight the state appeals court, ruling that she'd be granted parole. He said it's unlikely they would consider an appeal. So what is the compassionate take? Corey LaBianca is Lino LaBianca's daughter. And she said that her family is heartbroken that Ms. Van Houten has been released. The family does not support her release. The governor does not support her release. Now, Manson died in prison in 2017 of natural causes. He lived to 83 after almost half a century behind bars. Here's the question. What was it right to make Charles Manson die in jail when he never actually even killed anyone? I mean, Leslie Van Houten murdered people. But Manson didn't. Why did he have to die in jail? But she didn't. Well, it was totally fair because, yes, Leslie Van Houten murdered people. But Manson caused it. Manson was the cause of those murders. So, again, I don't claim to have the answer on this one. I'm a fan of the debate. But uh, I'd love to know your thoughts on it. And if you want to call in live, we'd love to talk about it all evening. Or if you want to comment on uh, our social media, on our Facebook page, on our Twitter, uh, we'd love to read your comments. It's a pretty interesting debate. I don't think she's going to be making too much noise in public. All I know is I don't care if she deserves to be out or doesn't deserve to be out. I just want to see her get a MAGA hat and go to a Trump rally. I want her photographed at multiple Trump. Is that so wrong? I I just I want to see her. I'd love to see Donald Trump and his supporters embrace her (laughs) because words mean nothing. All right. So here's the deal. It's woman hating Wednesday. And that means we have to talk about the Iowa abortion ban. Uh, Guys, right now, our world is experiencing horrific extremes of climate. We are seeing wars of invasion by sovereign nations, by predatory regimes. We've seen water shortages, death. We see poverty, homelessness in American cities. People still don't have adequate medical care. And that's why so many right-wing Christians are firmly focused on ignoring all that shit and controlling the reproductive organs of women. Um, It's been a year since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. One year. Ending the constitutional right to an abortion. Since then, abortion has been completely banned with practically no exceptions in 13 states, right? Alabama, Arkansas, Idaho, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, and West Virginia. Florida and Georgia put down laws banning abortion after six weeks, which, as you know, even men who listen to this channel know... Many women don't even know they're pregnant at the six week mark. Now, in Iowa, up right now, they allow abortion up to 20 weeks and the majority of residents in that beautiful state, 61 percent, uh, they support access to the procedure. The Republican governor, Kim Reynolds, she signed a six week abortion ban in 2018, and that was struck down the following year in the courts. 
So then Roe v. Wade gets overturned a year ago. Governor Reynolds goes back to the courts and says, hey, how about you reinstate our 2018 abortion ban? Uh, state Supreme Court, they they tried. They couldn't decide on it. They were deadlocked. So the 20-week law was still left in place. And Iowa's Republican-controlled legislature on Tuesday just passed a bill banning most abortions after about six weeks. Protesters, hundreds of them were screaming shame through the walls. This was passed during a rare one-day special session that Governor Kim Reynolds called for the sole purpose her words of enacting these new restrictions on abortion. And she celebrated it. She said uh, justice for the unborn should not be delayed. Now, again, 61% of Iowans support abortion rights. It doesn't surprise me that they don't care. The majority of Americans support abortion rights. Republicans don't care. This is about power and control. They're not talking about how to make things better for all the unwanted kids who are born and have to live in this country. You ever notice that? They're not talking about how to make life better for the poor women. They are going to force against their will to carry and bear a child, whether they can afford it or not. The law was passed along mostly partisan lines after hours and hours of hearings. Um, and now preparations are already underway to file legal challenges. You know this. I mean, Iowa's Democratic Party chair Rita Hart accused uh, the state Republicans of ignoring the will of their voters and praised Democratic lawmakers for opposing abortion restrictions. And I got to tell you, there's some amazing Democrats in the beautiful state of Iowa. Did you hear any of the people who spoke today? There were some really passionate speeches. I, I my God, uh, very, very deeply inspiring. I want to play a little bit of that for you, if I could. This was earlier today in Iowa as the debate was raging. And a lot of this you can hear people chanting and protesting outside. Here is uh, Iowa legislator Felicia Hilton, who spoke powerfully and beautifully, even when they tried to silence her. Give a listen to this. Where are all these church people when she's denying people health care? Where are they then? I'm just saying if this is about the church, and if this is about God, you are the same people that will slap them loaves of breads out of Jesus' hand, slap out the fish out of Jesus' hand, and tell them to get in line and figure out if they're worthy or eligible. Are they eligible for this food, Jesus? Are they eligible for healing, Jesus? Are these people good enough? Is that what you're telling me in the state of Iowa? That you get to choose who this is? Yeah, you, the people that think this is a great idea. Who gets to choose this? Who does this? This is absolutely an offense to women. This is an offense to everybody. And it is offensive that you're gonna go celebrate the oppression of women at a church. You're going to go celebrate the oppression of women at a church. But the church wasn't there when she's going to cut the food assistance from the federal government to people. Where were you then? The church is been, not there. It's no, been over three minutes. It doesn't matter. This now is they try to lie. make her stop. You guys are lying to yourselves and you're am, offending everyone, including God. I am happy to God. let you have your say, but yeah, you, you're your say God. was three minutes. I'm sorry. I, I know the audio quality wasn't great, but I love anyone who will call out right-wing Republican Christians over the fraudulence of their Christianity. Because again, the Bible, not against abortion. Jesus never condemns abortion. Jesus' religion of Judaism never bans abortion. Okay? They can do whatever they want to do to try to restrict women's rights and freedoms. And they have every right to fight as hard as they can if they believe this abortion rights are wrong to ban them. My whole angle on this is we don't let them get away with calling themselves Christian. Jesus opposed the death penalty, okay? They're not interested in what Jesus actually talked about. Here is State Representative Timmy Brown-Peters, and she attempted to amend the bill to exempt 12-year-olds who've been raped 
from forced birth. Give a listen to this. This this closes really strong. This just makes sure that no person 12 and younger has to endure a pregnancy. With the exceptions that we do have, that I would ask our body to resist this amendment. I'm glad that we have exceptions in there as a medical emergency. Um, but I would like to be damn sure that we're not putting any Iowa child through a pregnancy at the age of 12 or under. Those voting I-33, those voting no, 57 apps are not voting 10. The amendment has failed. For the love of Pete, that's child abuse. We're standing here debating a bill to save babies, but yet we would put a 12-year-old, an 11-year-old, a 10-year-old through this? Give me a break. The exceptions for rape and incest in the bill are time-limited. If you've been raped, you have to report it within 45 days. If you're the victim of incest from your father, you have to report that within uh, 140 days to qualify. There's also exceptions for fetal abnormalities that are incompatible with life. Now, uh, obviously, Democrats said that this is going to put somebody experiencing a miscarriage at risk by forcing doctors to take a lot of time determining whether this miscarrying person legally qualifies for an abortion. And it sets deeply unrealistic time constraints for people to report rape or incest to qualify for an abortion. This is a special session called by the doctor with hundreds of outraged protesters turning out. 60% of Iowans oppose this. So here's my takeaways from this. Number one, don't ever say both parties are the same. We got to stop it. Okay, years ago, 20, 25 years ago, Ralph Nader, I was there all the way, baby. Yeah, both parties are the same. I will never say that again. Democrats introduced 13 amendments to include considerations and exceptions for age, reporting requirements, mental health. None of them passed. Democrats aren't the one trying to control women's bodies. They're not the ones distorting religion, trying to control books or ban them or schools or what you can say in a school. There's no Democratic effort to get social media to censor free speech. Twitter's owned by a right-wing fascist activist. And so is Threads, by the way. We're going to be real about it. Democrats are that ones out there screaming about preventing the spread of lies and misinformation. So don't say both parties are the same. Number two, don't say these people are pro-life. They're not. They're not pro-life. They're pro-forced birth. They're, they're anti-abortion rights. They're pro-criminalizing abortion. They are not pro... You know what I Republicans did this spring? You know what they did? In mid-April... They took till 4 a.m. to vote to roll back child labor protections. They expanded where children can work, like in meat processing plants. And they expanded in April what jobs children are allowed to work doing, like heavy machinery and serving alcohol. Kim Reynolds signed that bill into law in May. They're not pro-life. They don't care about children. If you're pro-life, then you're cleaning up the water in the air. If you're pro-life, then you're trying to make it harder for someone to slaughter people with an AR-15. And if you're pro-life, you're not forcing women and girls to give birth. And finally, this is to the media. And this is important, everybody. Don't fall into the trap of calling this a fetal heartbeat bill. The Republicans do that. And I I need the media. I need progressives, Democrats. Stop falling in the trap, okay? The fetal fetal heartbeat at six weeks. Media, please. That's a false narrative. That's concocted by a right-wing, fake Christian, forced birth agenda. The fetal heartbeat. There, there's, no, there's no heartbeat at six weeks, okay? I don't like the expression, a tiny clump of cells. And I don't think liberals do the movement a lot of good when they use that term. But there is only a tiny clump of cells that responds to electrical impulses, which cells do, okay? There's no heart 
at six weeks. So there can't be a fetal heartbeat at six weeks. Even even calling that, it's the flickering that you see on the ultrasound is electrical activity, and the sound comes from the ultrasound machine. And that sound comes about six weeks into a pregnancy, but that sound is in no way an indicator that the pregnancy is even viable. No fetus has a heart rate beat at six weeks or seven weeks or eight weeks. No one listening to me had a heartbeat when they had been a fetus for six weeks. No human ever. It's, it's not, not possible. So, again, Democrats, please don't fall into the trap. I think these clinics should keep on doing what they're doing. Just, just keep on providing the services and then let them sue you in court. I swear to God. But, again, media... Stop calling it a fetal heartbeat bill. Stop spreading their narrative and stop calling politicians who fight against the actual teachings of Jesus Christians. We want to know what you guys think. We're at 866-997-4748. Memo is calling from California. Memo, thank you so much for your call. Oh, okay, John. Again, I'm sorry. I always say I'm not going to say this, but I love you and I love you. Thank you. I love you right back. Thank you. (laughs) You're all right with that. with the abortion thing, uh, I, I, I just everything that you said is straight to the point. So you're, you're right on that. I, uh, you asked uh, about uh, what Ortega was on the Leslie Van Houten, on the, yes. yes, thank you. And uh, I, what I want to say, maybe it's a take. I do not know how progressive my take is, but I that's believe okay. that at least that's the one supported by science, right? Yeah. Uh, my, my take on the on any criminalization, even even on death penalty is that uh, you have to take punishment out of the equation. In the moment that you want to incarcerate someone or even do the death penalty uh, with punishment in, in, in your mind, you are already doing things for the wrong reasons, right? In, in the case of any person who has committed a crime, our responsibility, our uh, as a society, what we should try to do is to rehabilitate them and to try to let them incorporate to society again. I agree. Whatever means necessary. Yeah. Um, I mean, absolutely. We we used to call, by the way, we used to call prisons reformatories where you'd reform or, or penitentiaries where you would go to be penitent. Now it's a cage we throw you in because you're bad and we can exploit you as a free workforce. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, uh, that shouldn't be the case. That, that is not, not what is supposed to happen on these places, right? Look at, at uh, uh, Norway or Finland or Denmark, where prisons are going out of style, right? They are closing prisons because their intent is really to do uh, reformation, and it works. It works. And I um, what I was going to say regarding the death penalty, for example, I'm uh, funny enough, I'm pro-death penalty, but only for uh, the right reasons. And, uh, mm. and it, it's the same thing, right? It's, um, the, the way that I see it, we are really just, uh, we as humans are no really much more than just computers, biological computers. Maybe. That react to chemicals. Uh, and, I, I'm and with you. I'm with you. But, 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 but if, if, you don't believe in, if you don't believe in incarceration as purely retribution, why, why believe in execution? That's just punishing and, and nothing else. Well, yeah, exactly. That, so that's, that's what I wanted to mention. That's my point. Uh, if you have a dog that bites, uh, and whatever reason it, 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 it bit, um, my, my first 
solution for that dog will be let's let's try to make sure that it's safe, that it's safe for uh, the, the people around him are safe. And I'm not going to kill the dog immediately. I'm going to try to say, hey, let's train this this dog because again, yeah. the, the dog is yeah. the, it's something you're you're trying. So to you train. won't you won't kill a dog, but maybe a person. The only reason why I will kill a person, and I wouldn't kill the person per se, it will be like if you try to reform that person, and then that person attacked a guard. And you try to put uh, restraints about it, and then he killed another person. Uh, yeah, I, I still can't do it. I, I, I still, I don't, either killing people is wrong, or killing people's not wrong. Yeah. And and yeah. I don't know how you yeah. say some sinners deserve to be executed, and some sinners don't. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. not qualified to do it. The, the way that I will see it is that you will put him to sleep, because you tried every other way necessary to try to reform them. But again... Then, then, then you keep them in jail. Then you keep them incarcerated as long as their victims remain dead. But I'm with Jesus on this one. I'm, I'm not into executing people. I just, I, and by the way, it also it, it costs more. It costs more to put a person to death than to keep them in prison for life because of all the legal uh, uh, costs that, that get amassed in every state. It costs more. So I respect where you're coming from. I just, I, I and I, I hope I always feel this way. If they killed someone that was very close to me, maybe I'd be emotional and feel otherwise. But even if I did feel otherwise, I hope I'd still cling to my. My basic morals because I, i'm with jesus i don't think i have a right to do it i i whoever is without sin can cast the first stone and if killing people is wrong yeah, I, I, you know i can't kill people to show that killing people is wrong i get what i get what you're saying and my point again is i, I don't see it as a punishment right we, we don't try to do it as a punishment. and you may be right right maybe maybe i'm i'm being a little bit too extreme saying well if you tried every other possible solution you're not doing the punishment you're just trying to 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 make sure that it's safer for everyone around him and even right. for him himself as well. But right. uh, may, may, I see your point. I see your point, but maybe I have to re- rethink on that position. You know, but, I'm into um, more. I, I'm, in, I'm into like more, more. You know, uh, uh, holistic forms of, of punishment, like like make them go have to live with Judge Janine or something, like torture them in different ways <laughs> and, and make them, you know, reform that way. Show them show them a worse fate than they have, and maybe they'll straighten out. Memo, you're a gentleman. I gotta run. I'm so sorry. We're on a hard break, right. but we'll Keep be right back. Thank you. I appreciate it. I, thank you for your very kind words. I, I'm not worthy. I know I'm not. Chris is going to tell me I'm not worthy as soon as this is. He's going to gaslight me about all these nice things. Okay. Oh, yeah. uh, when we, you know, you will. When we, co- but you'll tell me I mean well. When we come back, the great Bob Henley is with us, and more of your calls. We're just getting started, and there's a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Christopher Ray hearings and play the most idiotic Republican comments we could find when we're done sifting through the tonnage. This is progress. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. This is Sirius XM Progress. Welcome, I'm John saying. Thanks for being with us. Chris just reminded me that Van Hooten is Milhouse's last name on The Simpsons. I never, I always made the Milhouse to Nixon connection. I never made the Van Hooten to, you know, the Manson lady. Oh, my. So, guys, last week's hemispheric wildfire smog, I'm sorry, last month's hemispheric wildfire smog showed how unprepared we are on both sides of the U.S.-Canadian border for this climate crisis, which is fully in progress. And some journalists will point out how it affects the millions of essential workers who have no choice at times like this. When you see that orange sky, my God, that was the day Pat Robertson died. And I swear to God, I thought hell opened so wide to take him that they turned the skies orange. But millions of essential workers have to work outdoors with no access to health care or health insurance. And we saw it happen when New York City's air became the unhealthiest on the planet. As the great Bob Henley wrote, no, it wasn't 9-11, but the power structure was every bit as clueless with a fractured response. He's got a great piece in Portside.com called The Toxic Fog of Complacency. And I'm so pleased to welcome uh, Bob Henley to this show anytime we can get him. He's an award-winning investigative journalist with a 40-plus year career, and he's covered every level of public policy, corruption, economy, homeland security, immigration, labor, environmental policy. He was the senior reporter at WNYC here in New York for 12 years, and you may have read his stuff in the New York Times, the Detroit Free Press, or even seen him on 60 Minutes. He is a journalist journalist. Welcome back, the great Bob Henley. Thanks for having me, even Thank though the you, world sir. is on a precipice. Well, I got to be honest, when I saw the skies and how dirty and disgusting and unholy they were, I thought of you. I just kept thinking, my God, this brings so much of what you talk about uh, together between government and action to a looming environmental crisis. And how does it affect not just labor, but but what kind of major public health threat are we talking about that we have not been preparing for? So uh, just to keep it simple, uh, in uh, last month, what we saw in New York City was we got upwards uh, past 400 AQI, uh, Air Quality Index. And so it's instructive to know that at 300, the American Lung Association says universally people should take shelter. That doesn't say if you're working for the road department, you can hang outside. It doesn't say if you are, you know, it means everybody get indoors. And so... The problem is that we our risk threat matrix is still in the mindset of the Cold War. And so we borrowed hundreds of billions of dollars for assured mutual destruction through nuclear war and are not prepared in our daily lives for the actual threats that we face, like a toxic wildfire smog cloud from Canada. And something, and the American media itself is just not 
uh, alert enough and doesn't understand the world that it's out reporting in, and it's stuck in this old narrative. And so we're constantly caught short. And so that's right. Just like we did not see those jetliners that were hijacked that hit the World Trade Center, that's the same kind of blind spot that that smog cloud got through. Yeah, yeah. But as you point out, how can a supposed superpower that spends billions of dollars of borrowed money on its military remain clueless about the clear and present danger to its essential workforce from wildfires burning for weeks just north of our border? You've written some great pieces about this since that smog came across the Canadian border. And in the piece in Portside, you know, you talk to uh, uh, the executive director of the New York Committee for Occupational Safety and Health. And she says, you know, no one talks about the fact that N95 masks don't cover wildfires like like it's it's once again, just like covid, we find ourselves in the same exact position. The government's caught flat footed and the most marginalized people suffer first. Well, and that's right. And one of the things that we've seen is this essential workforce that we, uh, you know, banged pots for and applauded. Millions of these folks, whether they be undocumented, whatever their status is, they're making society work. They are making sure that we're on that lazy Susan of consumerism. Oh, look, here's my Amazon package. Oh, here's the thing I ordered um, on CBS. It's all working out fabulously. And yet this this invisible plantation army that keeps it moving are real human beings. And so the problem is that that. Uh, and this connects into this, the other reporting I've been doing related to uh, Reverend Barber's poor people campaign, the need to yes. mobilize the 85 million poor and low income people that run this country physically, that if they they're a third of the electorate and if they go to the polls, they could transform America. Consider that 43 percent of the electorate in Florida is what we define as low income or low wealth, 37 percent mm-hmm. in Texas. We know that in 2016, Trump exploited a depressed African-American turnout and tens of thousands of votes. This could lead to a new social contract. If these folks mobilize, we could vote the Republicans into peaceful extinction. And after all, they do belong with the Whigs. Well, indeed they do, but they also realize a couple things, Bob, one of which is uh, if more poor people do turn out to vote, then, yeah, the oligarchs are done. So they've come up with so many ways to keep themselves in power, even if they don't actually win the elections. I mean, this is one of the many struggles we've been seeing way beyond voter ID laws, a quaint way to keep low-income people and college students from being able to vote. But, I mean, we've been witnessing the Supreme Court battle it out over this theory that legislatures should be able to just throw out any votes indiscriminately they feel like. Well, we did have some, uh, the more esoteric, far-right idea of total legislative fiat was defeated by the court. I will tell you that uh, my heart was really elevated by covering for the Village Voice, uh, Reverend Barber uh, and the Poor People's uh, Moral Poverty Action Congress last month. We're close to a thousand activists like this wonderful 28-year-old single mother of four. Sarah Edmondson came from Nebraska and uh, has been advocating and working to fight for, um, uh, to maintain the, the advantage of uh, food stamps for people like herself. Uh, really witnessing on behalf of this social transformation. And then to see folks like this that have been struggling in isolation find their voice in collective action, that is powerful. 
And yes. I think that even though it was underreported on, these people, this is going on all over the country. It's off the radar of uh, the media, but it is going to be transformational. I'm optimistic, John. I am, too. I'm very, very hopeful. I think we've seen so much progress on so many other issues in the last decade or two. And I love your piece, by the way. I tweeted it out. It's it's in the Village Voice, um, which I, I, I love the still exists. The voice is back, John. The voice is back, I know. But the headline is, Reverend William Barber gives the Poor People's Campaign a second wind. I was really glad you covered his rally uh, in, in D.C. I've, I've met the Reverend. I've, I've been to his church, actually. He was in our, our PBS film. And, of course, you know, he's doing this at a time when the minimum wage has been $7.25 since 2009. Right. That is, and the other thing, there was new research uh, from uh, David Brady, a social scientist out from California, that was released at this event, which, which documented that um, poverty is the fourth leading cause of death. That was in 2019 before the pandemic. So, you're talking about the fact that we have this mindset of American exceptionalism because of the corporate media. The reality is, and we've talked about this frequently in this program, we rank 40th in terms of life expectancy for the entire nation. We're on our way by 2040 to be in the 60s, How, in terms of rankings of the world's countries. So uh, much poorer countries are prioritized where they put the health of their public above corporations. And so that's another critical link here. And that's why there needs to be a new social contract. Picking up on what Roosevelt said in that last address, we need to be able to guarantee that if you're an essential worker, that you're going to have health care. If you're going to put yourself at risk to serve the greater society in this new toxic soup that seems to be served up every other day, there has to be a social contract that you don't have to sweat out health care. That's got to be a sacred covenant between the people that work and support society and the people that profit and benefit from their labor. Which kind of brings us back to the smog, Bob, because your piece in Salon says toxic air requires social contract update yesterday. Right. And that that's the piece. Like when we talk about that's why I get so it is discouraging when we talk about Donald Trump and Biden and get caught in the horse race when we're on, on these in the precipice of these significant issues where we really, as Reverend Barber discusses, we're on the precipice of a potential third reconstruction to get it right. And so yeah. there can't be any distraction. Did the government, um, either nationally or the New York state government or New Jersey state government, get anything right, Bob, during this so disaster? I will say that Governor Murphy, um, the National Governors Association, by the way, which he runs, is meeting in Atlantic City, by the way. Ah. Uh, we should have done a live remote next time. <laughs> and uh, also, he sent workers home on that really terrible day. The, the city of New York was really caught flat-footed. The yeah. city's um, human resources uh, division that kind of sets the ground wall, uh, rules sent out a nice advisory, but and the Parks Department sent some people with 9-11 World Trade Center conditions home and had people that had exert, uh, heavy exertion activities not do stuff outside. Meanwhile, while they're closing the ballparks, we're raking hot asphalt on the highway. Uh. Um, you know, Metal Day was scheduled uh, for the FDNY outdoors, and I was going back and forth uh, texting with the union representatives on the day saying they thought they were in the middle of a working fire. Not so much. Mm. 
I mean, you talk about how uh, on June 9th, the Department of Labor announced on their website that the Occupational Safety and Health Commission was offering employers important information to help protect outdoor workers from exposure to wildlife health hazards. And it's all about how bad it can be to inhale these particulate matter pieces in your lungs and they can hurt you. And like this had been going on for days and they just put up on a website that it's bad for you. That's that's the extent of the action. And I will tell you that really, if you step back, we when we were talking about East Palestine and what happened there, there is going to have to be also a reckoning about the way we look at civil defense. It's time to understand that in an age where the ambient air on a good day is toxic, we can't afford to have things happen like happened in East Palestine, where a greedy corporation like Norfolk Southern can burn off four car loads of vinyl chloride because it'll keep the commercial road open sooner. We just can't do that. And we also have to make sure that volunteer firefighters, there are 65% of America is protected by volunteer firefighters. That's got to change. We've got Tell to me. start paying people for this work. And yeah. also, we have to make sure that they all have self-contained respiratory devices. There's a concept. Be able to protect your lungs so that serving your community doesn't mean that you can't breathe by the time you're 50. What a concept. Does it just feel like people are so burned out? from hearing about COVID, that no one wants to talk about how we can prevent the next big wave of health concerns and, and occupational risks towards the American people? It just kind of feels well, I like, that, I thought COVID would make us more prepared for climate change. Well, I, what I think has happened is that I am seeing unions step up here, and then the value of unions asserts itself, because there's a place to go to when you're put in a ridiculous position by an employer. And so we are still seeing this tremendous uptick in interest in people putting something at risk by putting uh, trying to organize a union where they are. And so that's that is really the hope. Uh, but again, it all has to lead to this mass mobilization in 2024 so that it's up and down the ballot, because that's been the success of the Republican Party is that Uh, particularly under Chris Christie's guidance when he led the Republican Governors Association, is that they own the state legislatures. And we have to take them back. And the only way you do that is by speaking directly to people about the issues in their lives. That's why it's not acceptable for Democrats like they did to let the minimum wage stay at $7.25 since 2009. That's not going to cut it anymore. Well, and if I if I may, you know, even even uh, shift it to another one of your pieces slightly, Democrats have got to start calling out the unpleasant realities of the Republican Party positions on things, because you've got a piece in, in, in it's from the insider, but it was covered in Raw Story, how U.S. slavery endures close the 13th Amendment loophole. This is something I don't understand why Democrats aren't talking about at all. You write the U.S. is still having real trouble giving up its addiction and reliance on involuntary servitude, a.k.a. slavery. Um, you know, you talk about how the, the all of the black codes and the loitering uh, in the af- aftermath of the Civil War to get people thrown in jail to be a workforce. And now 4% of the world's population in the 21st century, 16% of the planet's incarcerated people. And as you say, that's just too large a captive labor pool to go unexploited in our punitive winner-take-all system. That blew my mind. I have to tell you, when I dug into that to realize that we had kept slavery legal for the purpose yep. of corrections. That's right. Like that says, and, and it really, not only does it um, hurt 
the um, the workforce that is incarcerated undermines the labor market wherever it's done. And we of know course. the corruption that happens, uh, and it's not just in places like the South, like some kind of character out of a grainy 1950s black and white film. This is something that's still... And then you throw in the mix private prison corporations uh-huh. that then use free labor. Like, how is that acceptable? And this is all part of this punitive system that came out of the war on drugs, which we are so painfully recognizing was a problem. But as a reporter, as a beat reporter, I saw the war on drugs devastate communities of color where an entire generation of parents were harvested and kept away from their children and forcing another generation of retired uh, elderly folks have to step forward to raise their grandchildren. That, and when they talk about reparations, the wounds are much more current. Than oh, slavery. yeah. I mean, Ava DuVernay made a whole movie about this. But but you point out the use of the 13th Amendment loophole became so common that by 1898, close to three quarters of the state revenue of Alabama was generated by renting out black Americans. Just free labor. And Great you put the Tommy Tuber. <laughs> well, but but as you point out, the ACLU reported prison workers produced close to $11 billion in goods and services, but received just pennies an hour in wages for their prison jobs. This is why we have the drug war. There are more black men employed by corporations in this country behind bars than outside of bars. They already have you and me, the taxpayer, paying for the room and board. Right. They, they, they get their mails. They get their housing from us. And then the corporations get the labor who they pay pennies an hour. And that's the racket. I don't hear Democrats calling this out ever. Well, and especially that's a, a state issue, too. Uh, and that's one that you need to do, need to raise a profile on it. And so this is the kind of thing that when you get into basic community organizing, that's the kind of thing that you raise. And. That's the other reason why things like the Poor People's Campaign are essential, because by doing door-to-door conversations, it's the only way. Uh, You know, I've told you before that there are so many opportunities for us to engage people. Consider that with the Earned Income Expended Child Tax Credit, 5 million families left $14 billion in the U.S. Treasury, John. Uh, What other job does a congressperson have other than making sure that families in struggle get access to that money. And that's why you have to have conversations door to door, kitchen table to kitchen table about these basic issues. And because then in the process of having that conversation, you start finding out, well, why couldn't you file your taxes? Oh, because you are undocumented, but your kids are American citizens. So people are leaving in the bank, in the federal treasury, millions, billions of dollars that could go to the transformation and uplifting of their families. That's the job of the Democratic Party is to get and do that basic community empowerment. Because once you do that, then people feel like they have skin in the game. Bob Henley, you always inspire me and get me riled up in the best of ways. Thank you so much for joining us. I love when you're here. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you, sir, and keep up with all your work? All right. Well, it's at Stuck Nation because we surely are. And then, of course, WBAI every Monday morning at 7 a.m. Duck Nation Labor Hour Radio. John, do you ever get up that early? Do you have? Any yeah, I got a kid. Contract? Yeah, I get up that early all the time, yeah. sir. Would you? Would you come on sometime? Are you kidding me? For you, any time. We've dragged you onto this show <laughs> thousands of times. I got to hit a break, <laughs> Mr. Henley. But 
any time. No, I don't sleep. You, you see what time I work? We got to hit a quick one. We'll be right back with your calls at 866-997-4748. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. I'm John Fugel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. Some of y'all been on hold for a very long time. Let's start correcting that and thanking you for your patience. Charles in Texas, welcome to SiriusXM. Mr. Pugelstang, how you doing, sir? Not too bad, sir. Glad to hear from you. How are you? All right, man. I'm a, kind of a new listener. I started listening to you about nine months ago. It took me a little while to wrap my head around you, man, but I really like you, man. But I'm sorry I, for uh, everything, man. I'm sorry for everything. Listen, I apologize for all no. of it. Really do. It's all, no, no, and I do. No, it's, man, it's, no. No, my parole officer. My parole officer hates this show. He says I make it all worse. So I thank you for your patience. <laughs> no, man, I'm a truck driver, man. I, look, uh, when they told, when I heard old girl was getting released, the first thing popped in my mind was I noticed when they get up in age, they um, and if they if they have a, a sign that their health is going to start failing, because uh, uh, you know, did they let her out because yeah. they know well, you know, maybe six months or something. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. We don't know. That don't wasn't know the case this time. Not it wasn't. It wasn't her health. It wasn't for that. They tried to keep her in. You know, like like she's been up for parole five times. Jerry Brown and Gavin Newsom said no every time. The last time she sued, and the court said no. We support the governor. And then she appealed, and the appellate court overruled the governor. So she was not let out for health. They the the system tried really hard to keep her in. It, so that what fifty five years, fifty two. She wow. went in in 1971 when she was 19 years old. She has not lived. I mean, last night was her first night in America, not behind bars, since Richard Nixon's first term. It's kind of hard to imagine. I mean, before Secretariat won the Triple Crown, before The Godfather was released, she's been in jail every well, night. Well, wow. But, 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 but no, look, does she have any family? Do you know? I'm sure she does, but for the next, I'm sure she does, but for the next year, she'll be living uh, in a halfway house and learning how to reenter society. Wow. Well, look, yeah. man, I'm gonna keep li- I'm, I'm, I'm gonna keep listening, and um, I'm praying for President Biden and uh, Vice President Harris. His Me health holds up, and he, yeah. and he can get and, and he can get to. But you know what I want to? But what I really want to see though is um, 
is uh, Governor Disgusting out of Florida debating a <laughs> uh, heavy sea there, heavy sea out of New Jersey. I think you're going to have I that wish come see true. That debate. I want to see that debate too I, because I'm telling you, heavy sea is going to little Marco him into oblivion. Heavy C is going to destroy him like he destroyed uh, Marco Rubio six years ago. It's going to be, oh, the humanity. Yeah. And Donald Trump, we can look forward to him avoiding all of these debates as long as he can. Well, President President Pornstar slash 45, you know, he's got a lot on his plate, man. He's got a lot on his plate. Yeah, like at least nine Big Macs. (laughs) But look, man, take care of yourself, man, and I'll be listening. You too. Thank you very much. Very honored to hear from you. Thanks for uh, joining our Evil Army of the Night. We're at 866-997-4748. Tommy's calling from San Jose. Hello, Tommy. Thanks for waiting on hold. Hello, yeah. The name is Tony. Um, Oh, Tony. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. Um, I finally get to talk to you. I've been a fan of you since America's Funniest Home Videos. I've been enjoying that. uh, Lord. I don't even. I, I, I. When was that? That was before I was born, man. I can't even remember that. <laughs> but yeah, I just aged myself. But uh, you know what I think. Uh, but what I think. Uh, well, let's see. Um, first abortion. I think yes. these uh, Republicans are spitting upward doing these bills because they're going to pay uh, at the polls. Um, the majority of Americans and then uh, women. Uh, that's not the way to go. They're, they're, they are completely going against the women's uh, wishes. I mean, yeah. I'm pro-choice. You're pro-choice. Um, I could never understand what happens if you if I get pregnant <laughs> and uh, it's bad news. You know? uh, and, and if you get pregnant, you know, if you get pregnant, you're a man. You'll be allowed to do whatever you want with your body. That's what happens if you get pregnant. Okay. Hey, if I get pregnant, um, you can call me and I'll make an interview at your show. We're gonna make. If I get pregnant, I'm gonna do that and sell tickets to you, man. So don't even worry. I'm all over that. <laughs> Correct. And I think you know Joe Biden with these latest numbers, with these Biden Bidenomics and all that. I know it's still a long way from the general, but um, I think he needs to go around the country and pump this up, man. And he needs to yeah. promote all this. I think he's begun doing that. I think he he only embraced the term Bidenomics, you know, a couple of weeks ago. He never he was like Obamacare. You know, President Barack Obama stayed away from that word until it was so prevalent. He had to embrace it. You can look forward to that a lot, especially because Biden's having a really good week that the media is not talking about between what's happening in Lithuania and what's happening here with the inflation numbers. I mean, you know, Donald Trump would be bragging about how good it is if he got bad news. So I'm with you. Biden doesn't have as big a bullhorn. I know he doesn't. I mean, like I said to my conservative friends, um, you know, he could cure, cure uh, world hunger, and then uh, next year in August, he can fall off his bicycle and lose the election because of it. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's how short of the attention span. And by the way, Biden had. is smart enough to know he's never going to get these people. He knows he's never going to get these people. He also knows that Donald Trump and Roe v. Wade are going to help him a lot come next November. I think so. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, in regards to this, our uh, Charles Manson, uh, what is she? Um, was she one of the followers or conspiracy? Or, um, I mean, conspirators, or, or, or how is it that uh, she was involved? But did she kill somebody or something like that? Um, because I Who? just heard about it this morning. The, the person the, that, that's going to get released. Julie, yeah, Julie she did. She Manson. she killed a woman, um, and she killed a woman horribly. You know, I'm I'm all for for mercy and and compassion, and and I'm against the death penalty in all cases. 
And again, and I, I think I think the fact that she's a woman is probably the only reason she's been released because Manson never killed anyone and he never got out. But yeah, she she did kill um, one of the women. She wasn't there for the Sharon Tate murders. She was there the next night. I think she might be one of the reasons, though, that I am so um, against the death penalty because. Uh, you know, she had all this time. She might have repented. I mean, regardless of where, where religion it is that you follow, um, she might have repented. And, 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 you know, she had all this time to repent. And uh, I honestly don't think that she might be a danger to society at this point. I don't think she's a danger to society at all. The, but the, the question is, and I, I'm with you, my friend, I don't think she's a threat to anyone at all. I don't think she's going to go out there and start committing murders in the name of Manson at all. But, you know... Her victims remain dead, and the uh, the daughter of the of the of the people that were killed uh, has come out and said that the family is just heartbroken that she's been released. They don't support this. I always like it when a family <laughs> lets the old person who who murdered one of them years ago out, and the family has had healing, and there's that kind of restorative justice. I love those stories, but at a time like this, I have to also respect the pain of the family that doesn't want to see her being released. The Democratic governor yeah. doesn't want her released, and I can talk about mercy all I want, but it ain't my family that was killed. You know what it is, is that I probably heard all these stories about families being against their uh, the the person being executed and all that, yeah. you know, from other cases that I think that that's what I'm probably um, relating to it. But overall, I think that, uh, I mean, she's got to go through a halfway. I mean, she's not going to be totally free. No, not at all. She's living in a halfway house. She's still surrounded by cops for the next year. She's still in, you know, it's still government housing, technically, where she's living. So she's still going to be surrounded by people, much in the way Donald Trump is constantly surrounded by federal agents. He's not free either. So, Hey, Tony, it's a pleasure having you call. Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you very much for the time. I finally got to talk to you. I'll talk to you next time I have time. And the yeah. edible kicked in right on time. <laughs> well, our show is much better when you're enhanced in that way. So thank you very much. Okay, we got to take a quick break. If you're on hold, we will get to you. Uh, but when we return, I am so excited to have this conversation. We, we've talked a lot on the show about the potential for hallucinogens to change lives. How, how ketamine therapy or even the microdosing of LSD or mushrooms have shown incredible results with people who are struggling and trying to recover from PTSD. Uh, Scott Omelianuk is editor-in-chief of Inc. magazine. He's done some great articles about psilocybin therapy uh, because he's actually studied in the field, as they say. It's an amazing conversation, and it's very timely. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And with your calls on Leslie Van Hooten and what happened today with Chris Ray, we haven't even begun to do the show yet. This is Progress. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion 
while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I am so excited to welcome our next guest. I've been talking about this a lot, and, and it's a subject we discuss a lot on the show. My brother is a therapist who's taken part in some of the trials for MDMA therapy. But at a time when we're learning more and more about how psychedelic therapy has gone from a really underground sort of thing to be laughed at to really becoming uh, a very, very special part of mental health therapy and the debate around treatment, um, there's a lot of disinformation out there. There's a lot of stuff you might want to believe and a lot of stuff you might not want to believe. And of course, we don't even know the beginning about ayahuasca as well. It's still a very, very historically recent phase to begin talking about these gifts the earth or god or whatever you believe have given us and how they can help people heal from trauma our next guest knows a great deal about that scott omelianic is editor-in-chief of inc magazine and after years of unsuccessful regular talk therapy he tried out psilocybin therapy with amazing results now he's already been honored with the ad age a-list idea of the year award media vanguard award he's a marketing and branding expert he's a champion of entrepreneurial thinking with uh, small business and big business he's a terrific public speaker but he doesn't just talk about how to be the best corporate leader. He's really educating tons of people in the business world and beyond about these kinds of therapies. What a great pleasure to welcome Scott Omelianik to SiriusXM. Hi, how are you? I'm really good, and I'm so inspired by what you're doing and by how you're writing about it. I, I, I think it's great to have media figures or comedians or celebrities or medical figures talk about this, but someone like yourself from the business world who's also overcome trauma in your life, you have a lot more credibility on this than a lot of the uh, guys in tie-dyes I might be inclined <laughs> to listen to. Um, that, you know, that's, that's possible, I suppose, but I think, you know, everyone's experience is, is valid. Right. And, and, and I, I would also say that, you know, what I've done personally is, um, you know, d d doesn't necessarily apply to everyone. Right. But, um, sure. when we look at all of the research when, uh, and, and there's pretty significant body of research now over decades, um, some of these plant medicines as, as we call them, uh, seem to be really beneficial and beneficial in ways traditional therapies haven't been. Indeed. But for you, as the editor-in-chief of Inc., yeah. to talk about your experience. That's what makes it different. Because, yeah, I've got, I've got all kinds of people I could talk to about this and how the, the research yeah. looks promising. But you're not just a, a very well-respected figure in the world of business. You're, you're someone who can speak from experience about this. And I, I'd love to just introduce our listeners to both how you view this in terms of leadership, but also in terms of uh, the humanity of it. Why was yeah. it that you first became interested, sir, in this particular type of therapy? Uh, first, thank you for such um, a, a kind uh, a description of, of me and my career and where I, I exist in the world. Um, you know, for me, I, I grew up in, in a way, I, I don't know, I grew up rough, I guess I would say, in, in very difficult uh, circumstances, uh, v violence, um, 
in, in sort of mental abuse. And, and I think like a lot of people, you know, that's not unique to me. A lot of people carry that and we don't necessarily know um, how damaging it is till you get to a certain part in your life where you're like, wow, this isn't what I imagined <laughs> being a grown up would be like. I wonder why. Um, yeah. And and so, you know, I dealt with that with traditional therapy, uh, uh, talk therapy, um, at times, different medications, pharmaceutical, uh, you know, prescribed pharmaceuticals. Um, and I felt stuck. I, I felt like I didn't get far enough. Um, and, uh, the interesting thing about entrepreneurs, which is part of what, uh, Inc, uh, covers, you know, it's for, you know, we support the American entrepreneur. We cover the American entrepreneur. The thing about them is that they're curious people. They challenge the status quo, um, and they're first adopters of a lot of things, right? And in many ways, entrepreneurs create our future. And I was around many of them who had their own experiences, um, different levels, different kinds. You mentioned microdosing, like that, um, say. Uh, some who did ayahuasca, which you also mentioned. But um, I just thought, well, maybe this is an opportunity for me. And I, uh, I, I did, did the, what I did was, was something which I would call... Uh, therapeutic psilocybin, which is actually a fairly involved process with uh, a therapist over the course of uh, several sessions and one day of medicine and then several more sessions where you seek to integrate the experience that you have on that day of medicine. And uh, I found it to be remarkable. And I guess what I would say is, um, you know, what, what I might have accomplished in years, two, three, four years of talk therapy felt like I accomplished in in that uh, one day and one or two additional uh, sessions. It was quite remarkable. You write so movingly um, and, and grippingly about your childhood and, and about the physical abuse that you had to withstand and and how you had to oftentimes fight physically in your home for your own safety. And you, you you talk about how for years as an adult, you found yourself doing social reproduction, talking about these things over a drink all the time, having grown up in a house full of yeah. alcohol. W were you resistant at first to the idea of using, heaven forbid, a narcotic as therapy uh, or, or were you always open to it? Yeah, no, I, I would say I was. And, you know, I, I have to say, you know, I like my cocktails, um, but uh, I, I was not a, a drug user of, of any kind. Um, and I had to get quite comfortable with the, the person who was my therapist and understood that this was a practice they were involved in uh, for years. Um, I was also looking, at, you know, and we were following uh, as a journalistic uh, outlet the progress that uh, research uh, was was making with uh, things like ketamine, which you mentioned. I'd known mm -hmm. a couple of people who went through ketamine. It did not, uh, you know, have deleterious effects on them. A couple of people I know, it helped profoundly. A couple of others maybe had a short-term gain, but slipped back. But in every case, you know, no one was worse for it. And right. so I thought, you know, I, I, I can do this. And, I'm, and in fact, I'm going to do this um, not just for me, but for the people in my life. And I think that's a, a significant thing to think about if you're going to embark um, on, on some kind of psychedelic therapy. Right. And, and, and many of them right now are still illegal in the United that's States. Right. Ketamine is, is legal now. Um, it looks like MDMA will be approved by the FDA at the end of the year. Certain states are legalizing or decriminalizing certain kinds of psilocybin use. But, you know, um, 
it, it takes a lot of thought and I think maturity to not use these recreationally, but Amen. in a way that might make a difference in your life. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying if that's your thing, you, you shouldn't do it. That's fine. But it's a very different experience, right? Correct. It's not, uh, it's not the merry pranksters. It's, it's, it's something quite serious if you, 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 you take it uh, as such. And I'm sure you have to have that disclaimer whenever you speak to corporations about this. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, and again, nothing against our recreational dabbler friends. God bless. Enjoy. Go watch the wallpaper move. But we're talking about the same thing that veterans with PTSD have talked about, that some of these substances which come from the earth, which were only made illegal by men in recent years, have been like a year of talk therapy in one afternoon. Even Elon Musk has talked about microdosing ketamine. I do hope that doesn't hurt the credibility of the ketamine trials. Please don't judge ketamine just because Elon has used the people. Don't don't yeah. do that. But yeah, I mean, no, you know, I, we, we have clinical trials are going right now with the FDA. Uh, Oregon and Colorado are legalizing psilocybin. Uh, I'm really curious. Where do you feel like we're at as a people in this space in 2023 and and is america leading in this or or are european friends uh, more ahead of us in terms of compassionate deployments of these substances um as is as is often the case america is not leading um right so there are countries where uh psilocybin and other therapies are are, are legal um you can fly to the netherlands to a amsterdam um mm. the you know uh, are we recently did a story on a retreat uh, in which a group of people, group of founders, uh, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, uh, went uh, on a, a psilocybin uh, retreat that was in Costa Rica. Um, so there are places where where this happens. I, I think this is early days here in the United States. I think some things are 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 proven and and have the potential to be very impactful. I simultaneously worry about the way our healthcare system works and it's sort of Amen. medicalization of things, right? So, you know, there's a difference between going to a clinic and uh, getting ketamine therapy and walking out and never thinking about it again and having spent, you know, two hours in a disassociative state uh, and, 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 and doing that, but then working through your issues with, with someone who's tr trained. Right? Um, right. So it's, it's, you know, to me, this is, is not the pill that we're used to taking when we take a pill. It's something Correct. quite different, leads a, a lot more attention. And, and, you know, and there it might be, there's a, a bit of, you know, as is often the case in the, the issues we have in our society, one of sort of access and opportunity. Um, this is very much right now because of, 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 of the legalities of them, because of the cost of them, because Absolutely. insurance companies might not cover them, you know, uh, like, a, a, as we say, a first world uh, opportunity uh, and, and not necessarily for everyone. And unfortunately, uh, you know, given what we know of our, uh, mental health crisis in the United States, whether that's, as you said, soldiers returning with PTSD or trauma for other reasons, which we have no shortage of. Um, lots of people could use them, not just, you know, fairly wealthy folks from the coast. I agree. I, fi I find soldiers with PTSD is a great way to sell this to your concerned loved ones. I, I find that's often very, very well, valuable it's, it's to, really to get people who might thing. be resistant to this and think you're talking about a, you know, a Ken Kesey project to, to realize this is about healing and humanity. Absolutely. I mean, no other, no other, I cannot imagine another uh, topic on which uh, AOC and Matt Getz would be co-sponsors of legislation. And in fact, yeah. <laughs> they are for research on PTSD uh, for, for military folks. 
your wonderful piece that you uh, had in Inc. is called The Journey. You talk about how research is finding that psychedelics help solve problems and provide opportunities for new businesses. And I find that fascinating that you're not just going through this experience as a, a human who's healing, but also from the, the leadership lens as the editor in chief of, of Inc. Was there a moment when you realized that this was not just a personal journey for you, that you wanted to explore this as a, an editorial topic for your work? Yeah. And, and, and uh, yes, it was. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, and, and as in the case of, you know, <laughs> many new ventures, it, it actually was a very personal moment where I realized it was more significant. And, and for me, that, that occurred during a psilocybin journey in, in which I realized what I really needed to do was be quite a bit more generous with myself than, than I had been. And, and in doing that, I would be able to be much more generous toward others in my life, whether they were in my home or, or in, in the office or anywhere else I was. And it was a pretty profound um, feeling and, and it just made me think, gosh, if, if, you know, and, and certainly I, you know, one, another disclaimer, <laughs> I like to use times that like, you know, I'm a better person. I'm not a good person, right? I'm just better I than understand. I was. Or, or, right? um, uh, I love that you so, make that so, distinction, by the way, in the piece, you say those who, who've known me after treatment, see a different person, not a perfect person, uh, but one who knows better. Yeah, no, I still have a long, a long way to go. Right. Um, but, but don't we, what I thought was, (laughs) what I thought was like, you know, if this has had this impact on me, what if, uh, every business leader in America, uh, could have a similar, uh, you know, 10% improvement, whatever percentage the improvement is like, what would the ripple effect of that be? Um, how would that translate? You know, the You're CEO so right. who a friend of mine says is not the chief executive officer, but the chief emotional officer. Um, how would that uh, ripple out to everyone who works for them, every interaction they have? How would they think about their customers differently? And so suddenly there's this much bigger space to consider well, everything really. And obviously not everyone considers everything, but there's that opportunity there. So where could we all as business leaders be better? Um, and I, and I think, you know, whether that's through psilocybin or just reflection that, that that's a, that's a valuable thing to undertake. Well, yeah. And by the way, I think it, I, I agree with you about business leaders. I think psilocybin should be forcibly administered to all members of Congress. <laughs> personally, I think you could really see some action on nationwide health care and hey, oh, no, we are all one and death is an illusion. Let's take on poverty now. Um, but, you know, the best entrepreneurs are the innovative ones, the creators. That's right. and, and you say in your piece, as entrepreneurs, we look to solve problems and optimize processes. Let me quote you here. Psilocybin can do that for a huge sector of our economy and the people in it. In looking at the increasingly voluminous research and at my experience and that of others I know, it's clear that responsible therapeutic use of psilocybin and some other currently taboo medicines can uniquely fix a good chunk of our burgeoning mental health crisis in ways other treatments can't, even as they provide opportunities for new businesses. I think when you say that something is pro-business, it is often the most safe way for compassion to enter the mainstream if people think that somehow it's going to help capitalism they'll they'll accept any kind of morality there <laughs> um, that, uh, sad commentary perhaps but i i, I don't uh, i don't disagree obviously right um i i think i think uh 
there are cautions that obviously we have to pay attention to. Again, I, as, as I said, it's early days. Not everyone uh, will have a good experience and difficult experiences can be quite difficult. There are people with certain pre-existing health conditions that, that sh- shouldn't you know, uh, do this. We can look at the cannabis industry to know how uh, fraught um, you read my the potential mind. is, right? Uh, you know, uh, the THC or CBD oil does not cure all of the things that uh, people say it will, just like oat brand 30 years ago did not, you know, make us all heart attack free, um, or for that matter, x ray therapy and cigarettes decades That's before right. that, which we're, we're going to heal us, right? So we have to be mindful of that. We have to follow the research. And I think we have to go. Uh, slow, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it and we shouldn't see the opportunities wherever they are. As a business, if that's bringing uh, wellness or, or mental health um, more efficiently to people, uh, that's a terrific thing. As a society, if it's not, you know, if it's, it's it's being more mindful of ourselves as human beings and how much better we might function with a little less ego, a little, mis- little more generosity, you know, yeah, it, it could be remarkable. I don't think we'll ever get to the place where we get a, a State of the Union address and, and, and all of Congress. <laughs> Um, is, is on a journey together. It would be remarkable to see, um, but 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 we've got to start moving forward because I think it's clear what we have now isn't quite um, isn't quite enough. Isn't quite no working. completely no. That's why this conversation is so inspiring to me. Um, you, you know, you you mentioned the the cannabis industry and it's it's crazy. I mean, here in New York, there are literally thousands of dispensaries, um, dozens of them legal, but thousands of dispensaries. And it's <laughs> yeah. been insane watching it explode here. The, the the cannabis startup world has just I mean, as soon as the pandemic began to lift, it, it happened. But of course, there's still the black market there. And the black yeah, market is, is 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 as powerful as it was before the dispensaries happened in some cases. And here in New York, unlike California, the black market and the legal dispensaries have a lot of overlap as well. I, I mean, I know you're a fan of decriminalization, but what lessons should the psychedelic or ketamine therapy community take from the decriminalization yeah. of cannabis? Um, it, it, it's complicated, right? I, I think, you know, we actually have written a story also about uh, an entrepreneur in California who uh, entered the cannabis business and realized that uh, he could not be successful because of banking issues, because of overlapping regulations, taxations, fees, that he actually couldn't be successful with just a legal grow plot, as they called yeah. them, and in fact yeah. had an illegal one. And having that illegal one led to a series of circumstances uh, in which he was murdered. Um, and and we 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 have that kind of, of of problem in cannabis, right? There's a surplus of supply now. People aren't making money uh, in cannabis. Um, right. There are the legal and illegal shops. So I think uh, again, there's there there are all of those lessons there. How do how do we intelligently and I, and I think ultimately as an entire nation, not just a group of individual states decriminalizing or legalizing or allowing for therapies uh, t- to happen individually, I, I think uh, collectively uh, we have to approach this and, and sensibly. You know, you mentioned microdosing early on. That's my next question. Swear, I, I know people who swear by m- microdosing. I also know that the research that's been done so far doesn't necessarily show it has any greater effect than than the placebo effect. Right now, that might be because of the way the studies were conducted, um, and there are people who will tell you that. Uh, but but we don't know, and that's the early days part of this. And, and so 
again, I think moving forward is the important thing. Uh, taking, you know, every day is a risk for all of us as soon as, soon as we get up, right? Um, it, it's a risk while we're sleeping too. We just don't realize it. But every day when we get up, it's a risk. And so uh, we take risks all the time. This is another calculated risk we take as, as a society and slowly move forward. And, and hopefully yes. we can find the benefits in it without uh, too many of the drawbacks. Of course, because of the lack of regulation, it's often hard to calculate the risks when we're talking about something like microdosing. It was a couple of years ago, I think it was Rolling Stone that first ran an article about how Silicon Valley executives are are, are doing this. And that's the first time I heard the term uh, microdosing, but they didn't actually have anyone say they would do it. It was all just hearsay and conjecture. It almost seems like that article snowballed over the past few years, and now it's happening. You're seeing CEOs cop to it, and some are saying publicly, again, they're, they don't have the data to support it, but they're saying their subjective experiences, yes, having a tiny amount of psilocybin mushroom and a chocolate uh, helped my productivity if I did it one day a week or what have you. Obviously, there's nowhere to measure this, but do you personally have an opinion on the microdosing versus macrodosing debate? You know, I, I think it, it, that this is another one of those things that uh, is a tangled ball, right, that we have yeah. to unravel, right? The, 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 the large doses re require therapeutically to take a whole day. Not everyone can take a whole day um, to spend in a room with a therapist, for example, right? So microdosing for that reason has appeal. Um, uh, you know, you can microdose and, and continue on with your day. It is subclinical. Its effects are, are sub-intoxicating, as some will tell you. You're not necessarily feeling the psychedelic effects, but you're feeling something people say. Um, so, so, you know, could that benefit more people ultimately? It seems like it, right? Because we all don't have, we just as a, <laughs> you know, as an economy and society, we don't have the bandwidth to, to spend days, days, days with eye shades and, and, and noise yeah. canceling headphones on on a journey, right? So there's, there's lots of potential um, in, in microdosing. I think we just need to see the research that proves it out. And, and we don't want to be right. There's the placebo effects that are good for you and harmless. And, and maybe that's what's happening in microdosing. Maybe sure. not, I don't know. But, you know, we can say the same with, with antidepressants, right? Like they, they essentially have a placebo effect uh, improvement for most people, the same percentage improvement. And I think, you know, there we can all say like, that's not enough. So, yeah. um, so it's, a, it's, it's, again, you know, a thing that we have to work through smarter people than you or I, I'm afraid we'll have to figure that out. And they and they will. Thank you, Gen Z. But, you know, the other side of this coin is so many families, low income families who can't afford health care. And we still have a health care crisis in this country until we decide to have the same access to care that all of our capitalist allies have. Obviously, there are marginalized families that have great amounts of trauma. And we yeah, need, absolutely. I think, to talk about how access to psilocybin therapy could conceivably save not just wealthy white guys who can talk about this, but can save all all manner of Americans millions of dollars in healthcare costs. Uh, absolutely right, and I think this is you know the the link between uh, mental health and and your physical health is is is, is pretty significant, and uh, mental health and and all of the other problems that can be associated with that uh, employment, uh, you know, taking care of uh, other members of your family, all of those things, right? So the multiplier effect uh, is enormous. The question is, if, if we pharmaceuticalize uh, 
things like psilocybin, if we turn them into a pill and we start prescribing them to people, will the outcomes ultimately be the same as people are finding yeah. when they're used as mushrooms or in chocolates or as gummies in a therapeutic setting, right? Um, yeah. that, that's, you know, that's, that's a big question, I think, um, for a lot of people. And, and so um, that's what we have to see. You know, there, there are those folks who are traditionalists who think you need to stay natural with them. And then there are those who see the opportunity in, in turning psilocybin essentially into a drug, maybe even taking away the psychedelic aspect of it, but That's keeping right. the other neuroplasticity, which it is said to encourage, right? Different exactly. ways of thinking or processing. So, um, uh, it's, it's fascinating, huh? <laughs> it's an exciting time to be alive and, and compassionate, but I, I got to ask you then the million dollar question and thank you for being so generous with your time. Sure, um, sure. Uh, when it comes back to the, the, the business world, what what do you think psychedelics can teach business leaders? I know you talk about this for a living, but I find it fascinating that, that, that this is something you engage with. What can psychedelics teach us? And I'm talking about those out there who just think it's for people with Pink Floyd posters on the wall and don't know much about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But on a business level, what can CEOs, how can business leaders benefit from this kind of therapy? You know, one of, one of the most significant... Um, and, and and sort of consistent things uh, in in my research, uh, people have have said it, is that experiences with psilocybin, in particular, for example, really de-emphasize one's ego. I think it's absolutely necessary to have a fairly robust ego in the business world. You mm -hmm. have to survive people telling you no or, 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 or sell an idea that no one else believes in and only you do, right? And you sort of have to be resilient. Um, but I also think that ego can be pretty damaging. You mentioned Elon Musk before, right? Um, yeah. I don't think his ego is helping him at the moment. Um, mm. and, 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 and that's true of, of, of business leaders, you know, across the spectrum from the richest man in the world on down. I think the ability to reduce one's ego, to see the opportunity and common ground, to see the people who work for you, the people who are selling to you, the people who are, you know, working in factories or, or pit mines halfway around the world for product that you're going to, raw materials that you're going to turn into a product, the ability to see them as human beings and in a different way and in, in a way that so many plant medicines help you see, I think could be profound. There's a lot to look forward to. Uh, Scott Emelianic is the editor in chief of Inc. Magazine. What is the best way, sir, for our listeners to follow you and keep up with all your work? Yeah, uh, you know, visit us on Inc.com and, and uh, you can and find that story you mentioned that, that uh, I wrote in, in, in a much more deep dive uh, that yes. we did on psilocybin and there were sheets available there. Listen, I'd love to have you back to discuss this anytime. I think it's only going to become more popular and more common. And, and congratulations on being at the forefront of a great healing movement. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you. It's really a pleasure. Come back and see us anytime. Have a great evening. 